You know, sometimes yeah. it's like stuff set in the 90s. It's like, who's this young Kurt Cobain yeah. that everybody's <laughs> talking about? I'm yeah. just going to wrap my flannel around my hips because <laughs> I'm grunge. My heart is racing. I'm I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm short of breath. Mm-hmm. And my name is Jen Fricker. And I am trembling with both fear and excitement. And my name, as always, is Alexi Toliopoulos. This is the Big Film Buffet, a podcast for pop culture fans and people looking for what to watch recommendations. Unless we are very spooked this episode mm-hmm. because we're kicking off. Fear Month on this very podcast. We are indeed, and Fear Month is a celebration of a brand new trilogy of slasher films coming out on Netflix over the next few weeks called Fear Street, and they're all based on a book series from the iconic horror legend R.L. Stein. Yes, the Fear Street films will be coming out on Netflix each Friday over the next three weeks, and the very cool thing about them is that each one is set in a different era Full of spookiness. And this week we're talking about the first of the three films, Fear Street Part 1, set in one of the spookiest eras of all time, 1994. Oh my goodness. I was but a bub. I was but a little bub. I was simply a grubbling. (laughs) We're all cursed. The witch is real. She put a curse on Shady's side. She's been possessing people, turning them into killers to take revenge on the town. It happens to Shadyside over and over. Bad things happen here. You can't stop her. Your best chance is to run from this place. Hello? Hello? Fear Street Part 1, 1994, is the first in this trilogy of films directed by Lee Janiak. So this is your typical classic horror slasher film. It's a group of teenagers. There is a killer on the loose about them, and that killer is absolutely beseeched in mystery. They <laughs> enveloped in hearsay and supernatural powers, if you will. And this is set in a small town called Shadyside, and Shadyside has been besieged by these killers over many, many generations. Mm, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, in fact. I got to tell you this, Jen. This is absolute catnip for me. I go freaking psycho. I go nutso for slasher movies, mm-hmm. especially in that teen genre. The context for my first viewing of this mm-hmm. movie was at the COVID vaccination clinic. <laughs> Oh my it's a God. bit of a wait, yeah. so I just was uh, in the waiting room mm-hmm. and I just pulled out Netflix on my phone <laughs> and I watched it. The beauty of the platform. You can watch it anywhere. And also, I was getting too anxious about waiting, so I was like, this will cut some of the anxiety, I feel. That is true. The thing about a slasher is that it will give you some anxiety, but then it will just relieve that tension by cutting things up whenever you need it. Exactly. There's a lot of uh, catharsis in it. You Absolutely. know what I mean? This is such a fun movie. There's mm-hmm. so much to talk about. Just the opening sequence. Yeah. Setting it all up. We're in Shadyville mm-hmm. in 1994. It's mm-hmm. like a couple of teens in this kind of like really boxy looking mall mm. and something spooky's happening. Something's amiss and there's an incredible chase scene. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, obviously, but I think it just sets it all up really, mm-hmm. really well. That opening sequence is Maya Hawke, right? Ethan Hawke's daughter? Yeah, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter. Oh, 
Oh, everyone has a mummy and a daddy. That's true. And she's also in Stranger Things. So she's like a really cool, bright young star that has like this very cool kind of Drew Barrymore moment yeah. in this film. Yeah, I think it's like also something really funny about that casting as well. It's like you're hearkening back to iconic eras of the mm-hmm. 90s. So oh, who do yeah. you get but the daughter of two of the most iconic stars yeah. of the 90s? The two Gen X legends. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the coolest things about these kind of slasher movies are you do see these interesting like teen actors popping up in them or interesting new stars. Mm. And I think that's one of the coolest things about teen movies, in particular teen slasher films, is that they do have the chance to cast like younger or unknown actors without so much of a bigger profile and really break them. And there's Mm. this actor in this film that we talked about a little bit a few weeks ago for our Woman in the Window episode called Fred Hetchinger who I hadn't really seen until this year, popping up in a few movies. And I think this guy is such like an interesting weirdo. Yeah, he's got this fascinating energy about him that kind of creates like an unsettling presence, but in a way I haven't really seen before. Yeah, I feel like he's one of those actors and there's like a few kicking around Mm -hmm. that maybe you wouldn't necessarily notice on the street as Mm. like an actor because they just look like a regular guy, which in the context of a movie, Evan Peters, especially in the first season of American Horror Story Mm -hmm. or Barry Keehan, who you might know from American Animals or The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Like often these guys do play kind of disturbed young people in suburbia. True. Because they just look like a guy from the suburbs. He's doing all of that. But then he's playing with it with such an interesting type of humor where it's not necessarily goofy. It's still quite sincere, but he still just like kind of puts you on edge in the film. But in a way that I would describe as quite warm. Yeah, 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 definitely. And so I think to me, he this guy has got a bright future because how you make a movie starts by having a really unique presence. And this guy in the last year or two has been creating like this really interesting little filmography of just bringing something new to the screen. So I'm calling it now. I'm going to make the big call. Uh-huh. This guy's going to win an Oscar in the next 40 years. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. Give me 40 years oh and I reckon this Lord, guy's going to get one. That is so funny to make such a declarative <laughs> statement over the course of 40 years. Give well, the guy a lifetime. I reckon he's going to get one in. He's like Montgomery Clift or something. 2061 and we'll see if you're right. And if I'm right, you owe me $48. Okay, dude, I'm putting the bet on the table now. $48. Yeah, that's what I worked out the odds are. I reckon it's pretty good. The cast in this is great. I mean, someone who jumped out at me and it's just because um, I love seeing him and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is normal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very normal the way you're describing it. (laughs) But I mean, everyone loves seeing actors in things, (laughs) movies, TV shows, web series, webisodes. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me who you love seeing in this movie. Someone who I was really excited about seeing in this movie is an Australian actor Mm -hmm. called Ashley Zuckerman. He was on Rush and stuff in Underbelly, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he plays kind of like the small town cop. And I'm like, this is great. I love this for him. 
again, there's like kind of a self-awareness of like, this is what my role is. Like, mm. this is an archetypal role, being the small town cop who's got to investigate murders. As we kind of know from this genre of movies, they usually don't get to the bottom of it. Yeah. I just love actors who know what their role is in the ensemble. Absolutely. I think one of the coolest things about this type of movie and why I'm so drawn to them is because it kind of gives you a different lens on what the teen movie is. Like, teen movies are a coming-of-age film. Like, Mm. they're films about people finding themselves or becoming an adult in some kind of way. I think what teen slasher films do so well is they capture this very unique point in adolescence, in teenhood, where you are in that transitional period where you're no longer a kid, you're not an adult, and you're kind of in that slightly having one foot in that adult world but you're in this world still separate from your parents Mm. and parents do not really play a role in this film. This cop played by Ashley Zuckerman is one of the only few like adult figures that play a major part in this movie. Mm. And so there's like that real sense of fear of, oh, I don't want to go to my parents for this. I don't want my parents to find out. And I think that's a very real fear that people have that these kind of movies, this one especially taps into quite effectively having like this separate world and keeping these secrets and not really wanting your parents to find things out and not feeling like you can even go speak to them about these kind of things. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. is, you know, a, you a find- killer on the loose trying to kill you guys. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause it's all tied up in like those feelings that you have when you're a teenager of like being like on the outside of things, like mm. you're saying and like being like weirdly horny and yeah. like not really having language around that. And then, yeah, like the end of high school, especially, it's like that death of innocence that, mm. as you said, like the coming of age, that independence that you have, where you kind of see yourself as an adult and the responsibilities yeah. of that for the first time. And that can be terrifying. I think that as well. And then a bloody killer on the streets. <laughs> I think as well, that's exactly like why I'm into this movie. And kind of what surprised me about it was, you know, it's based on these books, Fear Street by R.L. Stein who we mainly do know as an author of children's literature in that horror field with Goosebumps. Like Goosebumps to me, absolutely iconic. I would be a different person if I didn't read Goosebumps as a kid. Mm-hmm. What kind of person do you think you'd be? Probably um, accountant, normal. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I've got accountant energy, but I don't know how to do math. <laughs> I would have learned math if I didn't learn Goosebumps as a kid. True. You reckon the space that Goosebumps <laughs> took up? Was pushed my calculation? Yeah, pushed out the maths. <laughs> it was just like a one for one. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, kid yeah. likes the dummy talking to him, yeah, not yeah, so yeah. much the mathematics side. Absolutely, it's like I know how to play goosebumps on piano. The theme goosebumps. Be aware for a scare. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of thought that this would be a little bit more you know, YA or kids lit Mm. um, where you kind of like are introduced to the themes of horror. But it's actually just simply lit. Yeah, it's simply (laughs) lit is how I would describe it. But it's kind of like gets a little bit further and I did not expect this movie to be so truly horny Mm. and bloody. Mm. I think that is really what grabbed me by surprise and just got me the full Kind of that step in love with this movie. Why did its horniness and bloodiness get you in? I thought it would maybe be a little bit tame or a little bit sanitized, but it's like not. This is like a legit horror slasher movie yeah, for yeah, teens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like playful enough for actually young people, teens to 
embrace it as something cool and new and it feels throwbacky in the right ways and still feels really fresh in the right ways as well. And I think like the kind of like the grubbiness with the teens hooking up with each other, but it not being part of like the danger that kind of classic thrillers and slasher films go to where it's like, oh, if you have sex, it's actually pretty bad for mm-hmm. you. Something bad might happen if you do that. But, you know, it's kind of like warmly embraced and that's what feels really fresh and exciting about it. And also the bloodiness I thought would be like kind of sanitized, like a, you know, for a younger audience. But I'm like, no, this is like, like you said, simply lit. You're going to see some blood spill and some of that it blood's going to be black. Honestly, when I was sitting in the COVID vaccine clinic mm. watching, wow. watching it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I should be watching this out in the daylight. It is pretty full on. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also just something really fun watching this movie in knowing it is the first part yeah. of a trilogy. And when you sit down and you know that this movie is building something, yeah. but without being too expositional, mm-hmm. I think that's like always the key to like getting people to invest in like a universe and invest Absolutely. in the characters and invest in like why should we care about this? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We've talked about it before on like our movie Pet Peeves episode yeah. where we just hate like endless exposition. Mm. But here, this world building, like the universes of Shadyville where all these like horrible killings are going on and Sunnyside, the neighboring town where yeah. all the rich kids live and how there's no crime. It's just perfect in that like light and dark. Mm-hmm. It's kind of goofy in a way, which is fun. Like yeah. there's, there's always like a crumb of humor absolutely at the bottom of everything in this film. And I think there's something so true and playful about that idea of suburbs or little towns having these rivalries like that. Mm. It just works so well in exactly this kind of movie. What are some other teen slasher movies that you are crazy for that make you, if you will, scream? (laughs) Well, I would say the one that you just (laughs) said, Scream, is one of my favourite films of all time. And this one definitely lives in that same kind of field. Mm -hmm. Like this one is definitely hearkening back to that 1990s era of slasher films being revitalised by stuff like Scream, being a bit self-referential, kind of knowing the tropes and how to play with them. I think it's so cool that this really is set in that moment in time where Slash has had like this revitalization. There was this period in the 90s where there was like the meta slasher, if you will. It kind of kicks off with Wes Craven. Just before Scream, he made a sequel to Nightmare on Elm Street called New Nightmare, which is set in the real world with the actors of the original Nightmare on Elm Street being haunted by a dream demon that inspired Freddy Krueger. So you're starting to get meta with it all. You're starting to get like commentary about what the slashes are even all about. And then Scream comes out and destroys everything. It blows up everyone's expectations of what a horror slasher can even be by being so new and so fresh and quite funny as well. And then we've got like a slew of imitators of varying quality from like The Faculty, also written by Kevin Williamson, the writer of Scream, and stuff like Urban Legends, mm. which I'm, you know, I don't uh, love Urban Legends, yeah. not as loved. And then also really fun stuff like Final Destination, where like you're playing with the expectations of like, yes, everyone is going to die, but the way they die is going to be very fun and exciting, and you know <laughs> it's going to happen. So it's like a very playful era of horror that kind of like revitalized a stagnant genre that had like 
really felt very samey over the last decade, mm. lost that freshness, got very stale, and it awakened everything up. And now I find it so fascinating that like 30 years later, we're looking back at that with such nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm so excited for this series because I've never seen anything like this before where we have like a trilogy of horror films that are planned out. So I'm not traditionally like a horror fan, mm -hmm. but something that made me really love this film is the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Because it's a movie set in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just like a big nostalgia hit. It's a mixtape of the best, yeah. of the best of the best songs of the 90s. I just remember like maybe in the first 20 minutes you had like Creep by Radiohead, mm -hmm. Garbage, Only Happy When It Rains, Insane the Membrane by like Cypress Hill, Sophie B. Hawkins. Damn, if I was your lover. Damn, if, if I, I was, was your lover. That's like, been the song that I have not been able to stop listening to after oh watching this movie. It's just so fun and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel at all like, again, it's like self-knowing mm. but without being too like clunk you over the head. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. with like stuff set in the 90s, it's like, who's this young Kurt Cobain yeah. that everybody's <laughs> talking about? I'm yeah. just going to wrap my flannel around my hips because <laughs> I'm grunge. Like, it's yeah. not like on the nose no. 90s. It feels very like lived in. It feels like mm. what teenagers were really listening to in the 90s. I think that's the beauty of it. Like, it's a mixtape that feels like each of the characters in this film had a selection of songs on there. Mm. I think that's what feels immersive about it because I think each track is used differently as well. Like sometimes when you're listening to a soundtrack like this where it's mixtapey, it can feel very needle droppy. But I mm. think this one uses it in really interesting ways where there's some that feel diegetic that are part of the movie and part of like the world of the film where characters are listening to them. Part of them are those cool needle droppy ones where it's just a weird, unique song that fits perfectly with the action of the film mm. or there's ones that just feel like background noise but each one works in a way to like envelop you deeper into the world of these teens yeah but be extremely entertaining in that like mixtapey way where this will be my spotify playlist for like the next three weeks after this yeah, film comes 100%. out 100 percent and I mean, knowing that the next few movies are set 100 or so years back, I'm like, I wonder what they're going to do soundtrack-wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I wonder what absolute jams they're going to have in the 1600s one. Oh, my God. I can't wait to hear Insane on the Membrane played on a lute. That'll be my biggest dream. Oh, yeah. Hurdy-gurdy voice. <laughs> <laughs> Some crazy guy with a bagpipe papping out those songs. Absolutely going off king. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear what the teens in the 1600s were banging on to. Banging on to? Yeah, they were banging on to, banging out to, banging into. <laughs> so, hypothetical situation, Jen. You are a music expert. Yeah. You have been called in to create a mixtape soundtrack for a modern-day horror thriller slasher movie in the teenage world. What tracks are you building out of that soundtrack? Alexa, you humble me with this question, first of all. <laughs> I'm on the edge of tears. Um, I mean, I would use the same rules that this movie, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, uses, where we're not going to limit ourselves to just 1994. A mm -hmm. lot of those songs didn't come out necessarily in 1994. So a mm -hmm. general kind of decade. The malaise of that decade. The malaise, the hits, the tunes of the last decade. Okay, so Fear Street 2021, I, I mean, obviously, like, Someone spooky and teen mm -hmm. age, top of mind would be Billie Eilish. Absolutely. 
Yeah. You got one very obvious song that I reckon the you can't go guy? without. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. You got it introducing your slasher character. Yes. You I got mean, that bad guy playing. Yeah. Well, I think the slasher character should be called bad guy. Bad guy. I think it should be Billie Eilish. <laughs> yeah. Played by Billie Eilish. That would be sick. That actually is sick. All right. Well, let's delete this from the episode. Yeah, 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 I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna make. This. We gotta work on our spec strip quickly. <laughs> Billy Eilish is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe good guy. We got Taylor Swift. As in, we're we're casting Taylor. Casting Swift Taylor Swift. Okay. And guess what they have between them? What? They got some bad blood. Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Everyone's gonna be teen pop idols so in our slasher. So it's actually kind of like a music slasher. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in that case, Dua Lipa's in it. Oh, oh my god, Dula Peep, dude. Dula Peep. We got Dula Peep in there. The wickedly talented Dula Peep. Oh my god, I would love Dula Peep. In um, this movie. Lil Nas X. Oh wow. That would be huge. I would love Lil Nas X to play like their science teacher or something. Even though he's the same age or younger than some of the characters. I reckon he'd be like just hot as like one of the hot teens, right? Yeah, true. Couldn't you see him like smacking <laughs> one of the killers over the head with like oh, a, yeah. a kettle? Oh, I can see You know that. that classic scene in any movie, mm-hmm. in any like teen slasher where it's like the killer's looking for them, but then the hero comes up behind them, smacks them overhead with like a pot or yeah, something. Yeah, a little teapot or something. Yeah. And the teapot matches his outfit exactly. He's got a monochrome outfit on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, 2021, like the song of the year so far has been Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. So we'd probably, she'd obviously have to be in it, but then... Maybe it's also like driver's license. Like that's when they finally yes. they're free. You know, at the end of the movie, that's like the closing credit song. I'm gonna cry. And then like Troy Sivan's in it <gasps> in his beautiful house. Like maybe I don't know yeah. if you ever saw his architectural digest. I've seen the architectural digest. But he's got a beautiful house. Got a beautiful home. And maybe one of the things is set there. Oh, I would love that. Just open plan, lifestyle living, converted Victorian oh, terrorist. I would love this. And Troy Sivan, a mighty fine actor. You may know him as playing little Wolverine in X-Men Origins Wolverine. No. Yes, he was a child actor. Yes, he played young Logan. What? Yes, there's old Logan. That's Hugh Jackman. But I'm all about young Logan, Troy Sivan. My, my, my. That's a Troy Sivan song. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I don't listen to music. Oh my so goodness. I only watch movies. One of the most interesting things about this is that it's a slasher film. So we've got those villains walking around with their knives and they feel like these impenetrable forces. But then deeper down, they've got this backbone of a witch's curse around Mm. them. So over the next few weeks on our snack episodes, we'll be deep diving into why we are obsessed with witches. I think witches are absolutely fascinating creatures in cinema that don't get explored enough. But when they do, there's something so interesting about them. So we're going to be looking at those in a mini series over the next month, looking into witches. And we are going to be calling this overlapping month, Fear Month, as we talk about witches and Fear Street. The next movie is Fear Street Part 2, 1978. And yep. I can't wait to watch it in the comfort of my home. I can't wait to hear your experience while you're getting your second dose of that <laughs> yeah. vaccine watching yeah. it. Yeah, I'm going to watch it while I get my second <laughs> dose of Pfizer. Uh, I'll see if the nurse wants to give any... Um, <laughs> we got to get the nurse on as a guest. Yeah, absolutely. And the week after that, we'll be looking at Fear Street Part 3, 1666. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you like, you subscribe, leave us a little review wherever you get your podcast. We really do appreciate it. It makes a big difference to us. 
And what are we serving up in our first very exciting snack of this trilogy? We have a living legend joining us on the Big Film Buffet Snack Edition next week. The man himself, the twisted mind that it all started with, R.L. Stein, creator of Goosebumps, creator of Fear Street Books. I can't wait. Like, I'm so giddy for this. This is nuts. We are both glowing. We are both buzzing because to both of us, R.L. Stein is a personal hero. So I don't know what else to say because I'm really excited about it. This episode was hosted by me, Alexi Toliopoulos, and you, Jen Fricker. Produced by Michael Sun and Anu Hasbold. Edited by Jeffrey O'Connor. Executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 